Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 207 of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this mailbag episode where we select the best questions that come through our inbox and answer them so that everyone can benefit from a single person's point of curiosity. Now, I do want to remind you that we have permission to read these questions on air, so just because you email us doesn't mean we're going to automatically throw it up on the airwaves without asking. Similarly, just because you send us a question doesn't mean it's definitely going to be featured in one of these mailbag episodes because we do field a lot of questions and we give priority on the show anyway to those that are particularly timely or really thoughtful. So if you're in the market for a shout out on the podcast, that's what you should aim for. But before we venture into the dangerous murky world that is the modern bar cart inbox, let's take a moment so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Revolver. To make it, you'll need two ounces of bourbon, one half ounce coffee liqueur, and two dashes of orange bitters. Combine these ingredients in a mixing beaker with ice, stir for about 15 seconds until everything is well chilled and properly diluted, then strain into a coupe glass, garnish with an expressed orange twist, and enjoy. This cocktail is what we'd call a modern classic. Having been developed by mixologist John Santer in San Francisco sometime around 2004. Ostensibly, the revolver is a Manhattan riff with the coffee liqueur subbing in for vermouth and the orange bitters filling their usual role as an aromatic brightener. To me, two things stand out primarily about the Revolver cocktail. The first, of course, is the coffee liqueur. There's a lot of them out there. Kahlua, of course, is your big name, and then there's other mass market offerings like Cafe Patron and Bailey's coffee liqueur, but one thing I got the opportunity to do recently was judge an entire flight of coffee liqueurs, and I was absolutely blown away by the diversity and the potential for complexity in the category. So the primary opportunity when making a revolver cocktail seems to be your chance to really carefully choose your lane with the coffee liqueur in the same way that great bartenders will select the vermouths and aperitivi that they use in classics like the Martini or the Negroni. The second thing that jumps out about this cocktail is, of course, the opportunity to elevate your garnish game, as John Santer did originally by flaming your expressed orange peel. Now, kids, this involves fire, and I'm going to very explicitly recommend that you do not do this at home. If you do, I hope you'll take all safety precautions and fire abatement measures you can, but essentially a flamed orange peel involves warming the oils on the peel with the flame of a lighter, then expressing them over the glass such that the flame ignites them in a single moment of charred citrus goodness. The result is exactly what you'd expect, a deeper, toastier profile on the citrus zest, which helps to blend that flavor into the dark, desserty tones of the coffee liqueur and the bourbon. So if you're looking for a fun new parlor trick to master, flamed garnishes might just fit the bill. But remember, 
be safe. And if there's any doubt in your mind about your ability to be safe, please just leave it to the professionals. So now that you're equipped with a sufficiently weaponized cocktail to aid you on this trek into the uncharted regions of our email inbox, let's jump straight into this modern bar cart mailbag episode. The first question comes to us from Ross in Texas, who writes, Dear Eric, I am a hobbyist home bartender who enjoys listening to your podcast. I know that you occasionally answer listener questions, so I thought I'd see whether you have any thoughts on something that has long puzzled me. Why are so few spirits available in bottles smaller than 750 mLs or 25 ounces? I enjoy trying new spirits and new cocktail recipes, so I would love to be able to purchase smaller sizes of many products. I'd happily pay more per ounce, but even among the big brands at large liquor stores, relatively few products are available in 375 mL or smaller. If you have any podcasts or other resources that address this topic already, please point me that way. Thanks, Ross. Well, Ross, I like this question a lot because it really addresses a key problem that many home bartenders experience as they begin to experiment and build out their bars and cocktail skills. To put it simply, you're right. In a perfect world, there would be absolutely more options for smaller, roughly half-size bottles so that you can take a spirit out for a test drive before you commit to an entire 25 ounces. Unfortunately, the world we live in doesn't even approach perfect. The reason why you see very few options for 375 ml bottles of spirits is due to the relatively high cost of glass, even when times are good and supply chains are flowing regularly. Most of this boils down to unit economics. Distillers buy bottles from bulk bottle suppliers, and it is absolutely 100% a volume game. The more of one bottle type and size you purchase, the cheaper your bottles become, And this commodity pricing really drives distillers to focus on what sells most or best so that they can recoup as much of their margins on that product as possible. So if I'm a distiller and I know that I'm going to make the bulk of my sales on 750 ml bottles, then 375s aren't worth my time because only a small chunk of consumers, yourself unfortunately included, will be interested in them. There's two instances where this commonly breaks down, I find. First, In the liqueur slash vermouth category, you'll see some decent small bottle deals because the idea is you're only going to use about an ounce of a given vermouth or liqueur in most cocktail recipes, and in many cases, you're using much less. So it totally makes sense for vermouth and liqueur makers to offer these smaller bottles because they do legitimately reduce sticker shock, which leads to either faster repeat purchasing or conversion of a customer from a small bottle to a larger bottle once they're certain that they like a given product. The other situation in which you'll come across more 375 ml bottles than normal is when you bump into a really dedicated craft distillery, often producing fruit distillates, that only offers their spirits in the half bottle format. In this instance, you can assume that the juice inside the bottle is actually worth more than the bottle itself. So much so, in fact, that they have to offer a smaller than average size in order to sell at an accessible price point. This leads me to my ultimate point slash reframing of your question. Value is not so much located in the amount of booze you get for your buck something that I assume already resonates with you, but rather in the ratio of booze to packaging that you're paying for. 
In most cases, the bottle, label, and any external packaging are as expensive, if not way more so, than the liquid inside. So in those cases where you find a brandy distillery making amazing juice that's sold in a very basic 375 ml bottle, you can assume you're getting a great deal. In the case where you have a craft dish distillery, let's say whiskey for the sake of argument, putting their booze in really fancy slash expensive packaging, you can assume you're way, way, way overpaying. Ultimately, there's not much that you or I can do to raise the popularity of 375 ml bottles, but I do sympathize with your concern and I can absolutely verify that you are chafing against a legitimate question of value. Hopefully, my thoughts have cracked open at least a little more of this issue for you to consider and I absolutely encourage you to support those independent fruit brandy makers if you encounter any because I have found some real gems in the 375 ml bottles over the last several years. In fact, Here's a little additional bonus for you. Since the ADI 2021 annual judging of craft spirits results have been publicly announced at this point, I will go ahead and link to my most recent find on the show notes page. It's a pear brandy out of Missouri from a company called Edelbrand Pure Distilling or Edelbrand Pure Distilling. And although it runs about 50 bucks for a 375 ml bottle, it won double gold at ADI, and I can personally attest to the fact that the first time I judged it blind, it literally blew away my palate with its exquisite expression of what a Bartlett pear can be. So although it might not be the kind of value you were looking for, Ross, I think there's still some value to be found in the 375 ml bottles if you know where to look. The next question comes to us courtesy of Mark in Connecticut, who writes, Hey, Eric, love the pod. Keep up the great work. I wanted to check in before I made some purchases for my home bar. Currently, I work with a very basic jigger that has a half ounce measure on the small end and a full ounce on the large end. I recently picked up a nicer stirring beaker and cocktail shaker from your site, but when I look at the measuring jiggers, they all seem somewhat different. Do you have any thoughts on the differences between these jiggers or which model would be best for a home bartender? I really like the Japanese style jigger for its appearance, but I can certainly see the appeal of the other models you offer as well. Any insights would be much appreciated. Thanks, Mark. Well, Mark, this is a very good question, and I think we currently live in a golden age of cocktail jiggers, which is both a bold and completely asinine statement, because really, who cares all that much about cocktail jiggers? Well, turns out, I do. To answer your question, I first want to do a very brief historical sidebar, and then I'll review what your options look like in today's cocktail marketplace, including a few on our site. The traditional term for the two-sided hourglass-shaped device that you're referring to when you say jigger is actually a pony and jigger, which refers to two different fluid measures. A pony is equal to an ounce of liquid, whereas a jigger generally refers to an ounce and a half. And if we think back to the way that many of the very classic cocktails like the Old Fashioned, Manhattan, Martini, and others were measured, these benchmarks were pretty useful. One and a half ounces was generally how much hard liquor was used in any given cocktail at the time, and the pony measure, if you didn't need the full one ounce, could be visually hacked in the amount of one half ounce. Pretty easy, right? You just eyeball half and you're pretty much good. 
Anything less than that, and you'll generally see the bar spoon or dash measurement used to communicate very small amounts of ingredients in most of those kind of Jerry Thomas, Harry Craddock-esque cocktail recipe books. But this all begs the question, is the standard pony and jigger still a useful tool in today's cocktail world? My answer would be, actually, no, not so much. In the old-fashioned Manhattan martini camp, we've pretty much across the board upped our base spirit quantity to two ounces, which means that neither one or one and a half ounces is a useful quantity for a single dump into the mixing glass or shaker tin. So if you're looking for a single two-sided cocktail jigger with no measurement lines, we'll get into this in a second, that will give you the most bang for your buck, you'll want two ounces on your jigger side and one ounce on your pony side. That gives you the most flexibility to eyeball your way accurately to the rest of the measurements you'll need for a given cocktail. The reason why I caveat the measurement lines thing is because there's a long tradition of stepped or carefully graduated cocktail measuring devices that either look entirely different than the pony and jigger or hack that format to make it more useful. So let's talk about three types of jiggers that we offer on modernbarcart.com by way of example. First, we've got a very basic two and a half ounce stainless steel stepped measuring jigger. I've got a bit of a soft spot for this style, probably because I've never been paid to do a shift at a cocktail bar, let alone a high volume bar. This model is great if you want precise measurements and you're the kind of person who tends to take their time with cocktail preparation. It's a one-sided jigger, and it's got all the measurements you need, ranging from one-half ounce all the way up to two-and-a-half ounces. These markings are all visible on the outside of the jigger. The downside with this model is that it's really not that flashy. It's cute, maybe, and it gets the job done, certainly, but it's not the sleekest tool available. For that, you'd probably need to look into the Barfly Japanese-style measuring jigger, which Looks just like the double-sided one and two ounce jiggers you'll see on most cocktail bars, but it has internal markings for one quarter, one half, three quarters, one and one and a half ounces. This model can look really cool if you develop the dexterity to hold it in the thin center between your index and middle fingers where the hourglass shape narrows and dump your liquid measurements into your mixing vessel with the flick of your wrist. This is what the well-trained bartenders will do. It's the sexy professional move, and it's not possible with the other models I'm describing in this segment. So if flair is important to you, go with the Japanese-style jigger, or at the very least, something with an hourglass shape that allows you to do that quick little flip-of-the-wrist dump. Lastly, we have another cool offering from Barfly that sort of bridges the gap between the two models I just described. It's called the Barfly Stainless Steel Measuring Jigger with Spout, and it's basically a two-ounce jigger with internal measurements for anything you could possibly need. It's one-sided, meaning that there's no flipping involved, and the spout does offer an affordance I personally like, which is you don't risk spilling as much liquid if you're in a rush or if you simply have bad aim. And unlike the stepped measuring jigger that I described first, the measurements for this jigger are located on the inside of the vessel, which camouflages 
a little bit of the mixology magic from your guests. So I look at this tool as a bit of a transitional phase between your very utilitarian stepped cocktail jigger and your sleeker Japanese style jigger, which has been engineered by Barfly to give you a little bit of extra functionality. So Mark, I hope this has clarified some of your questions about the differences between the various styles of cocktail jiggers you can use, but you know where to find me if you have any follow-ups. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. If you're like me, here are some things you might be like. You live in the mid-Atlantic. You enjoy meat. You highly prefer that your meat is local, sustainable, and comes from ethically raised animals. And you'd absolutely love for someone to deliver it to your door once a month. If this sounds like you, then you need Near Country Provisions in your life. Head over to nearcountry.com and check out their different, highly customizable meat delivery packages and also browse their growing seafood selection. As a thank you for being a Modern Bar Cart listener, you can get two free pounds of ground beef or bacon included in your first order after subscribing if you enter the code BARCART, all one word, at checkout. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, at checkout. Near Country Provisions is the real deal, and I can honestly say that I'd recommend them even if they weren't a sponsor. The meat and the local farmers they work with are just that good. Now, back to the show. Next up, we have a question from our listener, Val, in Colorado, who writes, Dear Eric and team, this was my first year attending Tales of the Cocktail remotely, and I found your podcast among the Spirited Awards nominees. Sorry you didn't win, but I've really been enjoying catching up on the back catalog of your show. I'm just starting out my career as a bar back and part-time bartender at a couple spots in Denver, and I'm hoping you can help me up my game quickly. Since it seems like you've attended Tales in the past, I wanted to get your thoughts on how to filter through their seminars and what thoughts you might have on the future of the event. Do you think it will be live again in 2022, or do you think they'll double down on more digital offerings in the future? Any advice you can give would be amazing. Cheers, Val. Well, Val, we appreciate your support. We're glad you found us on the Spirited Awards finalist list, but our goal this year wasn't to win. There's a ton of great programs that have been on the ballot for several years now. So to be honest, we're just happy to be mentioned among such elite company. I'm going to take your question in two parts. First, let's talk about the existing seminar content and where it ended up. And I'm talking about for 2021 here. Because when I did my TOTC 2021 quick guide a few episodes ago, I was a little critical about the fact that they didn't really tell attendees how long the content would be live or when it would be uploaded to their YouTube channel. And if there were any exceptions, like content that would truly expire if I didn't take advantage of it. Turns out there's a lot of good news on this front. The day after the conference ended, I did get a number of notifications from Whova, which was the conference app, clarifying how long the content would remain up on their platform and when we could expect it to be posted to the Tales of the Cocktail YouTube channel. Thankfully, if you're listening to this episode, all you need to know is that it's all up on YouTube and there doesn't appear to be any notable exceptions. If it was official programming during Tales of the Cocktail 2021, it should be up there. I'll also note that last year's event was pretty much completely remote, so you've got a lot of great stuff to check out on the 2020 playlist as well. 
In total, there's about 200 videos between the two of them that you can watch, and I will say, with potentially a bit of disappointment, these videos are not getting a ton of views. So if you zoom out, Val, here's the landscape, especially as somebody who's a new bartender slash barback looking to up your skills. Check it out. I'm telling you that an industry-leading conference is offering between 100 and 200 videos designed to act as professional development for spirits and cocktail professionals, but there's no pay gate or anything for home bartenders who want to check it out. And I'm also telling you that nobody's really looking at these, which means that if you're trying to elevate your game as a competitive advantage, you can use these resources for free just by going to YouTube. My advice, honestly, real simple. Put these videos on in the background when you're cooking dinner or folding laundry. It's exactly what I do. And you'll soak up so much knowledge just by listening in like it's a podcast. Now, they're still a far cry from attending a real live Tales of the Cocktail educational event with welcome drinks and libations during the course of the seminar to underscore key points about flavor, but I can't think of a better way to put yourself head and shoulders above your competition when it comes to learning the cutting-edge stuff that industry experts have come together to teach over the course of the last two years. Which brings me to my second big point. In 2022, it's official. Tales of the Cocktail will be live and in person in July, so we don't even need to wait another full year. Here's a snippet from a recent press release. Quote, Laissez le bon temps rouler, and the good times shall roll, as Tales of the Cocktail Foundation is thrilled to announce the 20th annual Tales of the Cocktail Conference, which is set for an in-person New Orleans return July 25th through 28th, 2022. Back in the city's beloved French Quarter, TOTCF is proud to partner with the 2022 official venue sponsor, the Ritz-Carlton, New Orleans, to host the much-anticipated on-premise festivities. Setting the standard of hospitality excellence, the team at the Ritz-Carlton New Orleans will provide a perfect setting for the conference's landmark year as attendees are invited to raise a glass to 20 years of tales, end quote. One thing I'll note there is that the, at least the in-person events have bounced around a little bit over the past couple of years between the Hotel Monteleon, the Royal Sinesta Hotel, and now finally the Ritz-Carlton, but literally if you've ever attended this event they're like two blocks from one another. So you're still going to have that great French Quarter experience. And uh, I've been in the Ritz-Carlton, pretty swank. So definitely, in my opinion anyway, not really a step down. So Val, not only is there a lot of dripping still left in this year's Tales of the Cocktail pan, but we've also got a whole lot to look forward to next year as Tales returns again in person. You can bet that I'll be there sweating it out in the French Quarter with everyone else who's been craving a frozen Irish coffee from the Aaron Rose. I'm super excited, and I think that you should make every effort to attend once you've worked your way through some of the awesome catalog of educational content on the Tales of the Cocktail YouTube channel. Next up, we've got a question from Malik in Illinois who asks, Hi, Eric. Been listening to the podcast for a few years now, and I love your interviews. I was hoping you could help me work through some bar options for my new home. My wife and I just moved, and we both love the place, but we just can't agree on the best way to set up the bar. 
everything seems like it comes with a sacrifice. If I wanna set up the bar in the half-finished basement, we need to find another place to store normal basement stuff, free weights, winter clothes, etc. If I wanna set it up in the spare room, I need to sacrifice my home office or get comfortable with having a bunch of liquor behind me when I'm on Zoom calls for work. Short of sending you actual pictures of my place, do you have any general rules that you use when figuring out the best way to set up a home bar? Also, any space saving tips would be amazing because our place isn't technically small, but for some reason, anywhere I think about setting up the bar tends to start looking very cramped. Thank you, Malik. Well, on the surface, Malik, this doesn't seem like a particularly timely question, but I think for you, it's timely in two ways. First, you just moved and you've got this nice, fresh, clean space and you don't want to mess it up. And second, you mentioned the whole like home office thing and Zoom calls for work. And without making too many assumptions, it seems like you work from home at least part time. Over the past year, there's obviously been a massive shift in the number of folks who now use their home as a full or part-time workspace, which means that the nature of the home bar landscape is also changing due to, among other things, people not wanting a bunch of liquor bottles behind them on Zoom calls. So this isn't just a home bar design question, it's a home bar design in 2021 and beyond question. And fortunately, or unfortunately, the same general principles do tend to apply when constructing any home bar or cocktail workspace. So I'll try to lay them out here for you as I see them. This is not the definitive home bar design crash course by any means, but it is how I think of it, so here we go. First, and most importantly, you need to Christmas carol this sucker. By which I mean you need to find a way to extract yourself from the first person perspective and try to look at your home bar like you're observing a future version of yourself moving around and entertaining in it. It's so easy when standing in a room and looking at it to just be in the center of everything with or without a tape measure and try to figure out what's going to fit furniture wise, bottle wise, what have you. But when you do that, it's very easy to forget that it's not about making things fit. You really need to optimize for functionality. The ability to move your body, your ingredients, and your bar tools around your home bar in a way that allows you to create the type and quantity of drinks you really need in order to entertain yourself and or your guests. So if at all possible, try to float up above the space like you're being carried by the ghost of cocktail future and see if you can envision yourself working in the bar you're trying to set up. This can help you avoid painting yourself into a corner when it comes to space and it also will force you to ask the question, what's truly essential? What do I really need to make great drinks and what is maybe secondary? Next, don't cave to the assumption that all home bars have to inhabit a single room. Think about a professional bar. There's a set of swinging doors where employees pass in and out. Patrons aren't allowed back there, but the back kitchen or prep space is where a lot of cocktail magic takes place. So why impose upon yourself a constraint that even the best cocktail bars in the world wouldn't place upon themselves by trying to have every single thing crammed into a single room. This begs the question, what does a happy middle ground look like? Well, I can't answer that question definitely for you, but for me, here's what's important. Number one, ice. You need it for drinks and you need to dump it when you're done. So make sure that your primary prep space, but not necessarily 
your service space, is ice and sink adjacent? Number two, bottles and glassware. I find that I can most efficiently gather ingredients when they're arranged by category, whether you're talking bottles or glasses. And I also find that it's a bonus when my glasses and bottles aren't all dusty and don't require washing when I have company over. To that end, cabinets are great for organizing and keeping dust to a minimum. And if you're short on space, you can also consider a hanging solution for your glassware. Before he passed away, my grandfather made me an awesome, super simple wine rack that has little slotted spaces for glassware to hang upside down, almost like little lanes where you can just kind of stack glasses one after another. And it really increases storage space and prevents them from getting dusty on the inside. And whether you're talking about upside down glass storage or cabinets, best part about that is that, you know what, it allows you to Keep things a little classier if it happens to be in the background on those Zoom calls. Finally, number three, cleanup and mobility. Nothing spoils a good cocktail party more than looking at a mountain of dishes and clutter at the end of the night, especially if it's scattered all over the place. And if you have to transport your glassware and bar tools from one room where they were served to another room where they're cleaned, and then finally to a third room where everything is stored, I can almost guarantee that you're not going to be motivated to have too many parties like that in the future. So just like adjacency to ice and a sink is important for drink prep, you're going to want that sink to be really handy once again at the end of the evening. So again, doesn't necessarily have to be a single room solution, but it's good if you can kind of keep the ice and the sink at the nucleus of where you're going to be creating and serving these drinks. Overall, there's some fascinating research being done using satellite mapping, actually, to trace various migration routes used by ancient peoples to populate the Earth. And I personally don't see any reason why we can't use the same kind of zoomed out thinking to optimize our own bar spaces by imagining ourselves into them before we even host our first cocktail party. I know it's a weird comparison, but the principle really works well. So Malik, as a guy who also lives in a relatively small space, I sympathize with you and I wish you all the best on your journey to creating your optimum home bar. One last postscript here on home bar design. I recently did an interview with my friend Jamie Bloschke from The Lagoon of Mystery and A Moment of Tiki. In that episode, we talked about a lot of home bar design topics from decor to woodworking to botany and musical ambiance. So if you're interested in exploring any of the finer, more what you might call mood related aspects of putting together a home bar, that might be a great episode to check out. And of course, we'll link to it over on the show notes page at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. Rounding out this mailbag episode, I've got a fun little note from our listener, Kelly, in NorCal. She writes, Hey there, Eric. Longtime listener, first-time caller. I just wanted to write you and say that I really enjoyed your Breaking Bloody series because you really dug into the subject matter in new and surprising ways. Like you, the Bloody Mary isn't exactly my favorite cocktail, but your spice episodes really got me intrigued about how it works in terms of flavor. 
I noticed that you haven't published anything in that series for a while and was curious to know if you plan to return to it anytime soon. I'm not trying to pressure you into doing more episodes, just letting you know that you have at least one listener who wouldn't mind more Breaking Bloody than there's a winky face emoticon. Thanks for putting out the podcast each week and stay safe, Kelly. Well, Kelly, thank you for your note and also for the emoticon. Your timing for asking this question couldn't have been better because I am indeed working on another installment of Breaking Bloody and I'm hoping it's gonna be one of the best episodes yet. In the interest of not completely spilling all the beans on this, I can tell you that I'm working with a collaborator to try and squish the Bloody Mary into different cocktail formats and see what works and what doesn't. This is almost by definition going to involve some more advanced cocktail techniques that may venture into the modern and molecular mixology space. So most of the work thus far has been behind the scenes involving ingredient gathering and planning for these drinks that we're gonna feature. So to end this on a note that's truly exciting to me, thank you for your interest in our Breaking Bloody content. And yes, we are absolutely planning to do more episodes in the near and hopefully long-term future. That about does it for this mailbag episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Thanks to those of you who submitted questions in the past, and please do review my notes at the top of the episode if you'd like to get your question featured on a future show. I'm Modern Bar Cart CEO Eric Koslick, wishing you happy mixing and many exciting cocktail riffs as we transition from summer into that pumpkin spice season autumn. Cheers. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Barcart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed. Excellent questions courtesy of the Modern Bar Cart community and a little bit of talking into a microphone by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2021.